into two for one drafts. This is our rookies and draft prospects podcast here at PFF. I'm here with Mike Renner, Austin Gale. We've got a ton of stuff packed for you today. Before we are live on YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday, you can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Let's get into the schedule. Loaded one. We're mm-hmm. going to start with our top 10 mock draft, a little back and forth action. Because, well, some teams are out of it. We'll exactly. just say, we'll just, like, we'll just say it as is. Some teams are no, they're going to be drafted. It's top mock 10. draft season yeah. for a lot of teams right now. Miami Dolphins, Cincinnati Bengals, Washington, Washington Redskins. Redskins. Uh, so we're getting our mock draft a little back and forth, and we'll raise a glass to some of our top prospect performances of the weekend. We'll also pour some out for the you know kind of some of the bad prospect performances mm-hmm. of the weekend. We also do our Rolling Rooks segment, a little play on Rolling Rocks, where we talk about our top rookie performances. We'll have a Beer Belly segment in there. There's going to be a draft special and some blackout performances. Those are our bad rookie performances. A lot of good stuff out there. And the cap chug. it off with a chug. Oh, we're going to cap it off with a chug. We're going to chug a prospect. That's where we go all in. This is a on special one. one. This is a fun it, one. This is a good one. This yeah. is definitely a good one. We're going to chug a prospect, go all in on him, and uh, really uh, you know, kind of talk his profile all the way through. Let's get right into this mock draft. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 1 through 10. This is based on order, you know, projected odds or projected finishes for these teams. It's not like we think the Bengals are bad. Oh, no, wait. No, we probably do think yeah. the Bengals are bad. But starting at number one, the Cincinnati Bengals picking first overall. The Andy Dalton era is ending. Going into next year, he has, I think, over $14 million on the books, but they can cut him with zero dead money, I'm sure, or kind of seek out trade partners because they're going to go with Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. He's been lights out to start. He's the number one quarterback on our board, and it only makes sense for kind of Cincinnati to go in this direction go get a franchise QB yeah I mean if the Ravens can get something for Joe Flacco I think the Bengals will still be able to get True. some trade value for Andy Dalton and yeah it's one of those things where it's not you Andy Dalton it's the Bengals uh, he was fine when you had a lot of the pieces around him they don't have those pieces it's not going to happen anytime soon it's not really going to happen overnight so if you do have an overall pick you get a chance to attack Viloa uh, we feel comfortable about him being, you know, worth the number one pick at this point, a franchise type of quarterback. Just hit that reset button, go to QB. And I think, and it, you know, I want to stay on the Cincinnati Bengals a little bit longer. Hit that reset button, move on from some of these guys. I think there's opportunities to move on from maybe a William Jackson, AJ Green, get some extra draft capital to, mm-hmm. you know, help this rebuild. Because, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. And by the time the Bengals are good and have a good supporting cast, Andy Dalton's going to be even worse than he is now, which is not someone you want to be starting. So I think resetting this franchise with a new franchise franchise quarterback, or at least seek out a franchise quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa. And I think there's also some pieces right now, A.J. Green, William Jackson, that they could maybe try and offload to help this rebuild out, really go from the ground up. William Jackson, to me, is one where it's kind of a cornerstone, kind of like the Miami Dolphins did. You keep a guy like that okay. through a rebuild. You're not going to find corners like him. Yes, he's having a down year. Yes, it's been you know a rough go of it for him this season. I'm more willing to part ways with a 30-plus-year-old wide, rec- wide receiver and A.J. Green. Maybe a Drake Kirkpatrick on the other side. Not that he has a ton oh, of trade yeah. value, but you know, really reset on that. some <laughs> of those guys like that. Older players, if you have a young talent in the pipe like him, like a Carl Lawson, mm-hmm. I, I think you hold on to those guys. And you can you, a rebuild in the NFL doesn't have to be a three, four year. It doesn't have to look like the Browns. It can be a one to two year process. And at that point, you still want a guy like William Jackson on your roster. Definitely. Let's go to number two. You were over the Washington Redskins here. Who'd you have for them? I had Chase Young. I think he's just a no-brainer. I don't care who you have at the edge position. Yes, I know they just drafted Montez Sweat there. Uh, yes, I know they have Ryan Kerrigan on the other side, but he's getting up there in ages and having the best season for the Redskins this year. So Chase Young, Boz can't miss as it gets in this draft class. Uh, yes, you could use wide receiver help. Yes, Jerry Judy would make sense there as well. But I just think Chase Young 
is a very clean projection to the next level, as dominant a player as we've seen in college football in terms of his pass rushing grade, his pass rushing win rate. Uh, a lot to like from him. So that one at number two, it's, it's almost like when the Browns drafted Miles Garrett. It's just too much of a no-brainer. Don't overthink him. He's the best non-quarterback in this class. Yeah. And I think I don't care who you've drafted in the past two or three years, who you have on your roster. When you have an opportunity to get a guy like Chase Young, who has all the tools and the production to boot, it, it's a no-brainer. And he plays a position that is very valuable in today's NFL. Yeah. He can get after the passer, plays edge defender. I think Chase Young makes a ton of sense there. Miami Dolphins coming at number three. They're also going for a quarterback. Josh Rosen. They traded for him, trying him out. I don't think it's going to work out for them. Try and go get a guy that can change you know, the landscape of this franchise. I think they go get Joe Burrow Ooh. of LSU, a rocket on PFF's draft board. He is making all the NFL throws right now. He's one of the highest-graded college quarterbacks on throws of 10-plus air yards. That's what we look for. Mm. Can you push downfield? fit it into tight windows, and get those big-time throws while also limiting turnover-worthy plays. He's not a turnover machine. He makes good decisions with the football. I think he still has some things to prove if he is going to fall at number three come April, but I think he's on that trajectory, and he has some good games coming up. Mm -hmm. He's going to take on Alabama. He's going to take on LSU. There's going to be opportunities to see Joe Burrow against great defenses and on big stages. If he proves it then, continues with this accuracy, I could see him going top five, number three to Dolphins. Yeah, we'll talk about it later on the Later of the Week podcast about his matchup this weekend against Florida, how big that's going to be for him. But, yeah, the more and more I look at these guys, you just have to have Burrow over Herbert at this point. Herbert has the arm talent, has, you know, uh, that sort of stuff going for him, the size going for him. But at the same time, I think every single one of Burrow's games this year has been more impressive from an NFL draft perspective than even Herbert's best game. And, again, Herbert comes up small against a defense in Cal's past week. You can see if you're watching on the YouTube channel, the top 10 ticker here, we didn't select Justin Herbert in the top 10. I just don't think he is worthy of a top 10 pick at this point in time with what I've seen from him. I don't want to be the team that drafts him. I would agree 100%. Now let's go to number four. This is where the New York Jets are picking. They're going out and getting the best cornerback in this class. Mm -hmm. Yes, I went cornerback for them because I feel very good about Jeffrey Okuda and his projection to the next level. It's obviously been a point of contention for the Jets for some time now. Tremaine Johnson, we criticized that signing at the time. They had some big buyer's remorse after his first year there in New York. They just don't have the pieces on the outside to be able to play man coverage. Jeffrey Okuda, I think man coverage to me is the ultimate sort of leveling playing levels of playing field in the NFL today. You look at the Patriots, play more man coverage than anyone. Oh, and they also have the best defense in the NFL. The Lions, their big improvement this year, has come from playing a lot of man coverage. I think that getting guys who can play man coverage is how you shut down the Patrick Mahomeses of the world, how you shut down these high-flying offenses. That is Jeffrey Okuda to a T. So that's why I think the Jets go there instead of a guy like Jerry Judy. And strongman coverage starts with getting a talent that can you know be sticky with all these receivers. You look mm-hmm. at New England Patriots, Stephon Gilmore, PFF's highest-graded cornerback from a year ago. You go to the New Orleans Saints even, who have a very much improved defense. Marshawn Lattimore locking some guys up. And you go to Detroit, Justin Coleman, one of PFF's mm-hmm. highest-graded uh, cornerbacks playing in the slot. Looking at Okuda so far an 85.5 coverage grade six foot one 199 pounds very athletic I, I, I there's just so much to like about this guy similar to chase young and that he has a lot of the tools you want but he's also got some great production this yeah. year while getting tested he's been targeted 27 times only 16 receptions allowed 161 yards and one touchdown he's been fantastic let's move forward in this one for number five or yep going to number five the Miami okay. Dolphins are back on the board yeah <laughs> with that trade they're going to go after and get Joe Burrow, a receiver, a very good one, staying in the SEC, wide receiver Jerry Judy. I love this guy. I think he's an elite receiver, the top receiver in this class, and I think it's a perfect pairing with Joe Burrow to kind of get him started in Miami. Yeah, I mean, the Miami Dolphins wide receiver core, you know, after dealing away 
Kenny Stills, pretty cheeks. It's not a very good wide receiver yeah. core. This is a bad wide receiver core at this point. Obviously, you pair Burrow with a guy like Judy. They could also go offensive line here, but I think actually the bigger story to me with this pick is that the Pittsburgh Steelers look like they're going to be drafting in the top five. They look like what they gave up. True. Then that make, to get Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be a top five pick in this class. And I'm, the way this class is shaping up, there's probably going to be 12 or so guys that I'd rather have than make a Fitzpatrick at this point in time. So if you're not drafting in the top, you know, unless you're drafting outside the top 12, I think that's going to be some buyer's remorse for the Steelers on their end. Counterpoint, Devlin Hodges is going to right the ship in Pittsburgh. No, it's going to be bad. I think you you will likely see them picking in the top 10, if not the top five. I think this is going to be a huge opportunity for Miami to go all in on this rebuild. I think it's an opportunity to get a quarterback, get the guy you like. You're probably not going to have an opportunity to attack a Viloa unless you're picking picking at number one. And then with that second pick, Go get him some tools. I think Jerry Judy makes a ton of sense. Can you imagine a little Miami, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jerry Judy get that pairing going in South Beach? I'd be pretty ecstatic. Who do you have for the Atlanta Falcons at number six? Atlanta Falcons, I'm adding to this defense, and it kind of goes with their MO in terms of just adding athletes and then finding a way to utilize them. I'm giving them Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson, to pair with Deion Jones, and you can just shut down the middle of the field with a combination like that. Tampa 2 is making a comeback in the NFL. We're Mm -hmm. seeing more Tampa 2 this year than we have in years past from a lot of different teams. I think that could be the Atlanta Falcons with the new whoever becomes their defense coordinator, because it doesn't look like it might be uh, Dan Quinn they were for much longer. I'll just say it. But I do think that uh, Isaiah Simmons and Deion Jones, if you have those two guys, two athletes at that caliber, at the linebacker position, you can do a lot of different things with them. He is, again, in terms of that, just do-it-all coverage player, plays some safety for Clemson, uh, and also can play, you can man up on tight ends, can be your sort of tight end eraser. Uh, I think it's very much worthy of a top 10 pick at this point. What's really unfortunate is if the Falcons are picking at this number six spot, I don't know if there's going to be an edge defender that they can add at six that yes, makes a ton of sense for value. Because I think I immediately jump to they need more than just Grady Jarrett down low. I think they need someone that's rushing the passer that can have more success than Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley. That's something they've thrown draft capital at, but have yet to really strike gold. And I think Isaiah Simmons makes sense from a value standpoint at number six, mm-hmm. but you have to hope they're in a position to also add some edge talent some point in the offseason because this pass rush needs help. Grady yeah. Jarrett cannot do it by himself. We're going to go number seven, the Denver Broncos. They're going to go get Drew Locke, CeeDee Lamb of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I think CeeDee Lamb, like Jerry Judy, is an elite receiving talent, a good separator with also great size. I really do love his size. He hasn't had a ton of opportunities so far this year to get those wide receiver wins. I'd like to see more of those on tape. He's running wild, you know, free mm. on, on, on broken coverage and things like that. But CeeDee Lamb, I think you trust his abilities to where if he was put in more one-on-one situations in the NFL, press and all that stuff, I think he does win a ton and produces at an elite level in the NFL. Yeah, the weird thing about this Denver Broncos roster at this point is they don't have like a ton of needs. They're just kind of like below average at a yeah. lot of different positions and obviously quarterback being the main one mm-hmm. that they could use to improve. I'd be hard-pressed to become real draft. This is the real scenario, how it falls. John Elway's probably not passing on Justin Herbert. Let's okay, just be honest fair. here. The, what, what, totally he's, what he's been all about in the draft, size, arm talent, that's Justin Herbert. Like if, he, if the Broncos are on the clock and Justin Herbert's there, I'd give that a 99.9% chance mm-hmm. that Justin Herbert's a Denver Bronco. Justin Herbert is one of those quarterbacks, though, that I think if the New York Jets are sitting there at number four, that someone goes up and goes and tries to snag. Because I Possible. feel like you're going to see – I think that that's a quarterback that a lot of you know, traditional GMs will covet for the size mm-hmm. and all that stuff, the arm talent. I think it's going to be a similar draft in that you're trading up for quarterbacks if you're not number one overall. And I think I could see Denver being a candidate to go get yeah. one if they don't feel confident in Drew Locke. Yeah, we're not going to be – assholes and project trades in this yeah fair totally fair that would be just absurd yeah
I actually have the Oakland Raiders projected to trade up. They're trading <laughs> with, <no. laughs> Let's go to number eight, Arizona Cardinals. You know, trying to work this rebuild. I think mm-hmm. you've got a great pick here. Who are you taking? I went with Tristan Wirfs, the tackle slash maybe guard out of Iowa. He's the number one tackle on our board, although it is close between him and Andrew Thomas at this point. Uh, I love both of their physicalities. They both look like sure things in the run game. Still a little bit of work in progress, but I love the upward trajectory of both of them in terms of pass protection over the course of their careers that I've seen. They've made the necessary improvements every single year that make you think they'll figure it out down the line at some point in the NFL. Uh, but, yeah, you got to protect Kyle Murray just a little bit more. Uh, I think they can go a number of different ways with that pick, but I think the value there at OT is a little too much. I mean, they need help along the offensive line. And mm-hmm. they, it's not a, you know, not a place where Arizona has really invested a ton of draft capital into. Oh, no, it's yeah. time to kind of put a top-10 pick on that offensive line and maybe even add some more pieces in free agency over the offseason. I think that pick makes sense. Jacksonville Jaguars picking at number nine. I really like this one. Safety, Grant Delpit of yeah. LSU going to Jacksonville to even you know improve that secondary. Whether they Jalen Ramsey stays or goes, this is a huge get for Jacksonville in my opinion improving that defense on the back end I like their pass rush Josh Allen Yannick Ngakwe Calais Campbell let's get better in the secondary I think Grant Delpit is one of those you know one of those safeties that has great range great ball skills yes he misses tackles Mm -hmm. I know that he misses a ton of tackles but I really do like where he's at right now from a ball you know range perspective and ball skills perspective I think if he goes to Jacksonville with that pass rush he can make a ton of plays and he's yeah, this thing he's a playmaker he is a guy who is going to make plays that no other you know that you can count the number of safeties even like in the NFL would make on one hand he yeah. is just that sort of uh you know playmaker on the back end uh he is you know 6-3 has length can break up passes uh from any position on the football field I just think adding an influx of talent, you know, King State Kings, keep that secondary. Don't you don't want to trade away Jalen Red. Like you really you want you really to don't. keep him there unless you get a King's ransom, uh, like the Miami Dolphins did for Laramie Tunsil. You want that defense to be as dominant as it has been uh, in recent years. Adding Grant Delpa to that would be a scary addition. Uh, I think the Jaguars might not be drafting top ten once all said and done. Though. I think yeah, Gardner Minshew. You yeah. believe? You believe in Gardner? I'm starting to believe. But totally, right. totally. Uh, number ten. I think these guys could be drafting top ten. New York Giants going at number ten. Who do you have for him? I went Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Uh, like I said, he is very close to Tristan Wirfs on our board. Uh, they still could use help there at right tackle and. It's kind of been the Giants. They want to establish the run. They want to give Saquon Barkley the most favorable. They want to justify drafting him second overall. Uh, and again, I, I don't hate on getting yourself a dominant offensive line. I think that's where if I'm going to build and I if I am going to be a running team, I'm going to build along that offensive line. So I don't hate if you do have a top 10 pick, someone like Andrew Thomas, all of a sudden you get a solid front there, cross front five. And I don't think Nate Solder also will be there too much longer with his bloated loaded contract and how he's performed so uh, just add talent to a value position there that's going to do it for our top 10 mock draft very early mock draft mm-hmm. mid-season of the college football season but I think you're going to hear a lot of those names get called that early regardless of who those teams that are picking at top 10 let's go to our next segment here we're going to raise a glass to some of our top prospect performances from the weekend um we're going to tar- start with the Wisconsin center that has played you know did not have a great start to this season but mm-hmm. really is coming off a big game talk to me about that yeah Tyler Biotish you expect this is what we expected sort of like every game that he was going up against you know early in the season when he went up against USF against Central Michigan this past week against Kent State 90.9 overall great that's like that's checking that box that you want to see you want to see that sort of not just 
you shouldn't lose against inferior talents like that because, again, it only gets harder once you get to the NFL. So he has dropped down our board a little bit this year because we didn't see him sort of take that next step. But string together a few more performances like this, hold up in the Big Ten. Uh, I I think we're still going to have him as a first-round type of interior offensive lineman. And you look at Biotish in 2017, an 82.3 overall grade. 2018, he built on that 86.7, but stumbled out of the gate. Through his first five games, he earned sub-70.0 overall grades and then comes into this one, Kent State, 90.9. And if you look at what he's done in pass protection specifically, it hasn't been all that bad. He's only allowed one pressure on the year. The problem has been kind of his run blocking. That's where his overall overall grade has been dragged down. Good to see him bounce back with an 85.4 run blocking grade against Kent State. Moving forward to other guys we are raising a glass for. Mm-hmm. SMU, small school kid, James Prochet. Is it Prochet or Proche? I like Prochet. I think it's Proche. But... Dang it. Gosh, I like Prochet. <laughs> sounds cooler. But yeah, James Prochet, he's had a very good start to the season even before this game. But again, lights out. I think he had that game-winning, inter- oh, not interception, game-winning reception in the end zone. He's been outstanding to start, but this is kind of like a big exclamation point for him. Yeah, had 1,199 yards, 12 touchdowns last year, so it was obviously on our radar coming into the year. Undersized, 5'11", 190, but a little bit of a sudden route runner I think he has a career uh, he's not going to be super exciting not doesn't have great speed uh, not going to do anything that really wows you but I think this guy has a career as a slot receiver in the NFL and will be a starter for some time because he attacks the football over the middle of the field he comes back to the football he's not going to you know give you picks like you see Antonio Calloway doing uh, with Baker oh, Mayfield man. it seems like weekly uh, in that Browns offense he is a guy who is not going to hang your quarterback out to dry and he is going to attack the ball and take hits over the middle of the football field, a reliable, reliable slot receiver. And my favorite stat is his hands, only six drops on 242 catchable opportunities over the course of his career. Those are absurd, absurd numbers for him. So another big one this past week, 11 catches, 153 and two tutties. So I'm a fan of his. And it's not all slot work in that SMU offense. He wins some on the outside. Oh, yeah. But I think his, I think his ultimate where he'll win in the NFL and where his value is, is in the slot. Zero drops so far this year, too. And mm-hmm. five force missed tackles after the catch. He's had, again, an electric start to, you know, to the beginning of this. And I think he does have a role in the NFL playing in the slot. Um, next guy we're going for, Juwan Jennings of Tennessee. Um, he was a guy that landed on your article, your scouting notes article. He had a standout performance as well. Yeah, a guy who I truthfully had not even been on my radar whatsoever heading into this season. Uh, I mean, statistically, uh, it's not surprising. You only had 498 yards back in 2018, 580 yards back in 2016, had a, injury, had a wrist injury in 2017 that kept him out for that year. So he's a redshirt senior. But at this point, he's 6'3", 208, and the dude is a legit weapon after the catch. You rarely see guys at that size being able to shake off defenders the way he does. 12 broken tackles on 26 catches already this season. Five this past week against a pretty darn good tackling Georgia defense that he went up against. So he's making his way onto radars pretty quickly. has 33 broken tackles uh, over the course of his career now on 113 catches. Uh, that's legit. Just, yeah, that's legit. And he's been a Tennessee's quarterback situation. Obviously, not hasn't been doing him any favors there over the course of his career. So uh, this is a guy I definitely need to watch more, but I love what I saw from from this Georgia performance. Uh, he will be one to watch, a name to watch going forward. 12 force-miss tackles on 26 receptions this year. It's that's, crazy. that's absurd. And this is a guy kind of has a good athletic profile, former four-star recruit, former Mr. Tennessee. He's a Tennessee, mm. uh, Tennessee hometown guy. When you, so, when you say Mr. Tennessee, it sounds like he like won uh, – you know, 
like a miss. No, that's what I'm referencing. No, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but he was a great high school football player for Tennessee, former four star. Let's go ahead and dive into surprise beer belly segment. Mm. This is a top performance. Someone will raise a glass to, but it's also a beer belly beer belly segment where we kind of highlight a fat guy that's playing pretty well. Talk about a guy you've really liked. We've talked about him multiple times on this podcast, but he got a touchdown. Yes. This week, Samuel Cosme of Texas. He has right. been outstanding from a pass blocking perspective, run blocking. Now he's getting it done as a receiver. He had an eighty nine point four receiving grade this fire. past week. <laughs> fire! That is fire. But oh my! Like when he caught the ball on that pass and started running, you look like looked a tight like, end. Oh, oh my god! I, mean, I was going to say the same thing. It goes back to a lot of what I've said a ton here about offensive line or offensive tackle scouting specifically. There just aren't enough guys that are that big and can also move. Samuel Cosme obviously is one of them. If he shed 40 pounds, he could be a legit tight end prospect with the way he ran after the catch on that one. But again, he goes up against West Virginia this past week, doesn't allow uh, a single pressure in that game. Uh, He's moving. Every time I see him, I want to push him higher up the board because I just think he has uh, the athletic profile and the skills and already the production now uh, to be a top-tier left tackle in the NFL uh, so I'm not sure if he's going to declare. Only redshirt sophomore could obviously come back for two more years if he really wanted to, but mm-hmm. I think he's already ready at this point to make the leap to the NFL. And, and what stands out for me so far this year is zero drops. <laughs> 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 no, but yeah, 89, um, he's had an 85. I mean, he's, not, he's no Trey Walker. Exactly. Right? But, okay, so you talk about him, how, how when he caught that football, he looked athletic. Go back to Marshall Newhouse when he had that ball and got flipped on. You know, it's just a totally different ball game when you exactly. see a big six foot seven, 300-pound yes. kid that can actually like catch the ball and have some form of acceleration. Mm-hmm. And look like a little bit natural with the ball. In his like hand. as dumb as it sounds to say, it improved my opinion of his yes, like 100%. potential in my yeah. mind. It yeah. did. I shot him a DM, but uh, eighty five point one overall grade for Cosme so the far king this of the year. DM slide. <laughs> Seventy eight point nine pass blocking grade. I think Cosme, I, the, the receiving is great, but I think what he's done so far this year at tackle for Texas, yeah. and he's got a big matchup coming up. We'll probably be talking about him uh, on the Thursday podcast where we review some of the big prospect matchups. Let's keep going in that raise a glass segment. Derek Brown, this is a guy that we you specifically called out on Where's Twitter it? because you didn't love Derek Brown as much as everybody else. This game, I mean, sh- I didn't like at him and like, yeah, hey, no, buddy, no, no, step your exactly, shit up. Exactly, exactly. You didn't like- at him. But this is a game where he kind of bounced back and showed some of that pass rushing prowess that we needed to see yeah. from him to kind of get back on his bandwagon. Well, I just think he has, with his sort of strength advantage, he is an ox. Like, the dude is so much stronger than every single offensive lineman he's going up against. Why doesn't he dominate like this every single game? It's kind of like my biggest question mark with him. He kind of runs hot and cold. Uh, he, you know, he had a game. That first week against Oregon, only one pressure the entire game. Now, it's good Oregon offensive line, but, you know, that's the offensive lines you want to see him still doing it against. So this past week goes up against Florida. Florida, one of the worst offensive lines in the SEC. They are bad, but he dominated them. 92.8 pass rushing grade, six pressures on the day. That's good. It, but the, the thing that still worries me is he has those games. He alternates those with up and down. Let me see that sustained. Let me get those consistent pass rush grades in the 80s mm-hmm. because I, I just worry about any 320-pounder being able to consistently affect the pass. If you can't do that, you're not going to be a top – you're not a top 10 pick. You know, we left him out of the top 10 of our mock when pretty much everyone else in America is saying, you know, even in the game, watching it against Florida, they were calling him a top five player wow. in the class. It's just – I don't think he quite is at this point. I, if you're, I feel similarly with him, although I'll be a better than I felt about like Christian Wilkins last year, where it's just like, yeah, he'll probably be good. He'll definitely be good against the run, but pass game, who, who knows? And Christian Wilkins hasn't hit the ground running yet. Totally. I think with Derek Brown, too – he took a step in the right direction 
to being maybe a top 10 player in the NFL draft. But he, he needs to show that consistency as a pass rusher. You spoke to it. He needs 80-plus pass rushing grades more often than just one game, and yeah. not against a bad offensive line. Um, going forward, this one's going to be quick. Raising a glass very quickly to Chase Young. He continues to be outstanding. So, you know, he's, I'm just going to walk you through these pass rush grades of the last three weeks. 96.2 against Miami of Ohio, 96.8 against Nebraska, 92.9 against Michigan State. I looked at his key plays, and PFF grades every player from a scale of negative 2 to positive two you're going to see a lot of point fives he had 12 positively graded plays positively graded pass rush snaps seven 1.0s and five 1.5s he was just demolishing michigan state offensive linemen and this is a guy that like we said at the top of the podcast why he's going number two overall he's the second oh he's the best non-quarterback in this class and Mm -hmm. well worth a top pick in the draft yeah and it's almost the the safety aspect of you get along the offensive line, you have the most one-on-one interactions compared to a position like wide receiver or a position like safety, cornerback. It's just you feel the most comfortable about it because you've seen a guy beat another human being repeatedly and with, that, with very good speed. Yeah, obviously. No, but that that is something that translates that you feel better about projecting. It is an easier position to project when you see a guy doing it at that high a level, in my opinion. So I do think that that's why... Uh, he is the number two player on our board at the moment. And, yeah, what he's doing right now is, is something we've never seen. This is one of my favorites to raise glass to because it was a big stage for him. He was going against a top quarterback in Justin Herbert, Ashton Davis of Cal. He's a guy that we raved about in previous podcasts because he's this mm-hmm. former high hurdler. He has all this athleticism and speed. He really showed out in this one in 88.1 coverage grade, had an outstanding break on the ball. I, I really do like Ashton Davis. He showed up. Yeah, he, he showed the full skill set. That's why we love him, why uh, we have him as a first-round type of safety at this point. Uh, playing from the slot, off coverage, dig route he breaks underneath it picks it off on justin herbert playing from middle field safety seam route breaks on it before the ball is even thrown hits the you know plays the receiver and the ball breaks it up out over the seam there on him so that is the two things you basically want to see from a modern safety can you guard the slot check mark yes obviously mm-hmm. uh, not obviously it's one play but we've seen it again and again that's been him through the course of his career can you guard the slot yes can you make plays from the middle of the field can you shut down the seams Yes, again, Ashton Davis. Uh, he's he's catching up with Grant Delpin on our board now. He's Ooh. not now. He's not still not quite the playmaker. Still not the as versatile do it all. Uh, I still have questions about him in run defense. I don't think I'm playing him in the box anytime soon. But in coverage, he's pretty damn good. So we got to bring up a. We're going to our next segment here where we pour some out pour for out. Um, some of the bad prospect performances. From there were a the lot weekend. of drops. Yes, a ton of week. drops. A ton of drops. And we got to start with your guy. No, Jared Pinkney of Vanderbilt. He earns a. 42.5 overall grade, two <sighs> drops against Ole Miss. And we went into this, you know, we went into this game. Jerry Pinkney has not had a good start. Only 120 yards receiving in the and Bandy's first four games has not looked apart. Bad production. But hey, he doesn't have a drop on the year. We'll take that. He goes into this game, drops two balls, and just you can just hear his draft stock just flaw, falling down. I, yeah. He needs to play better. He, he needs had, to play better. Yeah, he had one catch on six targets for seven yards. It's... Two almost catches. That, that makes a more positive <laughs> spin on the drops. I feel. Like Dude, one yeah, force missed tackle on eleven receptions. I, I need more from this guy. He should have just come out last year. It's been bad. Like I'm not <laughs> going to sugarcoat it. It's been bad. But I'll trust that the, the 
the, being able to get open part is the more important mm-hmm. thing. I still think that he can. And Vandy's quarterback's well. bad. The offense isn't great. Yeah. I, I think there are excuses we can make. But no, but I dropping mean, like, the football you, is just you not definitely it. worry. Yeah, you yeah. definitely worry about how unproductive he has been so far this season. If it doesn't turn around, yes, he will be falling down our board. So we, we're going to pour one out for Jordan Love, but let's hold off. We're going to talk about a draft special where we really talk about Joe Burrow and Jordan Love together, talk about that mm-hmm. matchup and how that went. So let's go ahead and skip that. Talk to a couple other guys that have dropped a ton of balls this weekend. Aaron Fuller, five drops for Washington, and Tyler Johnson, three. Let's start with Aaron Fuller. This is a guy that's had those spectacular catches. I've cut a few cut-ups of that. He's got mm-hmm. great spectacular catch ability, but when you drop five balls in a game, that's unheard of. Like that, you know, The next closest guy was Tyler Johnson with three. Yeah, and they were a problem for him last year. He had seven uh, on 66 catchable last year. So he's just trying to catch up. Anything over 10% drop rate is bad. Mm -hmm. That's that's going to put you in the lower, probably third or so of NFL wide receivers if you're over 10%. And to be consistently over 10%, if you're over that every year, in which you know he's over that, obviously again this year with those five drops this past week, uh, that's when you're in worry about his hands territory because mm-hmm. you can't, you're just going to lose trust of your quarterback. Uh, you're not going to be seeing a lot of playing time if you're just having the ball clang off your hands in practice every day. Let's skip over Tyler Johnson. He's the guy that has proven with his route running ability he can create separation at the short, intermediate, and deep levels of the field. He's fantastic in that regard. But what was a problem for him last year yep. continues to be kind of a problem this year. He's dro- he had drop problems a year ago, and he had three drops this weekend. One more pouring out for him. I was going to say, he's in the exact same boat as Fuller, and one who I honestly think came back just because – came back could have declared last year as a junior, came back purely because he wanted to – say you know basically prove that he doesn't have drop issues but you know like i said three more drops this past week now has four drops on 33 catchable this season uh first career 22 on a 178 catchable that's a high rate every single year of his career outside of you know over the last so the last two years has dropped over 10 percent of his catchable uh passes and is up over that once again Again, he's in the territory of it's bad, and you might not be seeing the football field when it's that bad. What's crazy is I, I did interview him before the season over the phone and talked to him about what you want to prove this year, what do you want to get done. He said, i got to I got to catch a football. And yeah. he said that was the biggest thing. I need to catch football. I can't have these drops. I've been working all offseason with my guys to get better, be more sure-handed, and it sucks to see those still continue. One of those three was kind of in a tight window, and he's reaching out, and it was not necessarily – not that that's an excuse, mm-hmm. but more to say that the fact that two of those three – were just he was wide open. The ball was in his chest, and he just coughed it up. So those are the ones where it's just uh, if they consistently happen over you know three years of sample size. Now, if that's just your mo, sometimes that's just going to be who you are. And that he might be you know Amari Cooper has serious drop issues as well, and is still a number one receiver, but. A lot of guys have had drop issues that have taken them out of the league if they're that bad. It's definitely something hard to overcome when you're not an elite separator like exactly. Mark Cooper. You know, yeah. if you get to a point where you're not the best, one of the best route runners in the NFL, and you're dropping passes, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to find the field and, and produce. Let's go to Arizona cornerback Jace Whitaker. He's a guy that we highlighted on the Thursday podcast as a big matchup against Colorado. He goes into this one, allows over 100 yards receiving, a 49 yarder, and a touchdown. He earned his lowest coverage grade of the year, a 46.2, and he entered the game with a high one. This is not a good look for a senior, five foot eleven, hundred eighty five pounds. You'd like to see better from Whitaker. He's a guy that was maybe rising a little bit, mm-hmm. but this one, this is definitely he got hit in the nose on this one. Not great. Well, and also missed tackles. I had mm-hmm. a couple missed tackles in this one. That's something that we wanted to see 
him not have after he had double digit missed tackles his last year as a starter uh, back in 2017. Obviously, missed a lot of 2018 with an injury. So, uh, wanted to see him break, cut down on the missed tackles, had two more. Uh, I, I liked him mm-hmm. as a slot cornerback, or I still like him as a possible slot cornerback in the NFL, but this was a tough one. Took it on the chin. Uh, it's yep. one of those back to the drawing board. You can't have too many of those and still expect to be drafted highly. Going to Iowa, this is kind of his first game back from injury. Mm-hmm. He played 77 snaps. A little snaps. bit of excuse, but yeah. yeah. Alaric like, Jackson, he earned a 66.5 overall rating in this one. Not terrible, but what you wanted to see him come back and be dominant like we thought he could be. And Michigan's one of my favorite defensive lines just schematically to watch offensive linemen play against because they will allow a lot of freedom from their defensive ends to attack. Uh, you're not just holding gaps and know where a guy's going. They stunt a so lot, slant a lot, so many inside moves, that sort of thing. Guys have freedom, and so... Uh, you, you're, it's a tough test if you're an offensive lineman, and I just think Alaric Jackson, his foot speed is the biggest issue for him, and it got exposed in this one on a handful of inside moves, on a stunt as well, where he just couldn't get back out to pick it up. Uh, injury, obviously a factor there, uh, maybe a little bit of a caveat, but I do think that that's, it was more than just the injury. I think he is just a limited uh, is it a limited athlete at the tackle position? You could see him. The difference between him and Tristan Wirfs in terms of how they handled that Michigan front was a big difference. Four pressures allowed in that one. Definitely got to be on some um, some inside moves. Mm-hmm. Let's move on from our pull one out segment. We're going to go draft special where we talk a big matchup from the weekend. Yes. We talked about this a little bit on other you know, um, YouTube videos for PFF. And this one, Joe Burrow going against Jordan Love. We went into this one. We talked about it on Thursday. Joe Burrow needs to dominate. It's a bad Utah State defense. He cannot you know, fall against bad competition. Love, this is your one chance. A huge game circled on every scout's calendar to mm. prove that you can compete with NFL talent, top power five talent, and... We didn't see something, anything great from Jordan Love, and, but Joe Burrow continued to kind of roll on. I would say, Burrow, check the box. Business as usual. Fifth straight, fifth straight game with an 80-plus overall grade. That's crazy consistency at this point. Um, but, yeah, Jordan Love. We did a whole video on it, breaking down uh, just exactly how bad it was. If you want to go check it out on the PFF YouTube channel. But he just – and it was the aspect of I think he started pressing too hard to make plays – Got late Some to a few throws and just one. bad decision. And that's what you wanted him to cut down on because he's top five now in terms of turnover-worthy plays nationally. And that was, a problem, that was a problem with him going into the game. You wanted him to at least, if, if, if it's going to be bad, at least protect the football. At least, you know, don't take sacks. Protect the football. Maybe you don't have guys open, but you don't have to, you know, compound that with more mistakes on your part. And Jordan Love did. You can, you can still see the special. He made a special throw outside the pocket. Had a couple of nice deep balls in this one. But... The turnover way he plays, the decision making that we've seen from Love this year is very worrisome. I, I don't, that's why he's not, you know, in the first round conversation for us where a lot of guys have him. It's just because he has made too many bad decisions. With the it ball. goes from Jordan Love to see it to Jordan Hate to see it. And that's where we got to kind of be with him. I want to go back to Joe Burrow, though. This is, you talk about Jeez. 80 plus passing grades, uh, 80 plus passing grades so far this year in yeah. all those games. He's done it on NFL throws. He's one of the highest graded quarterbacks in college football on those throws of 10 plus air yards. He's fitting it into tight windows, logging those big time throws, and limiting mistakes. Joe Burrow, I mean, if you go back to the mock draft, it's why he's in Miami Dolphins right now, okay? He's suiting up, taking over this franchise with Jerry Judy in tow. He's going to light it up. I think Joe Burrow playing very well to start. A rocket, an absolute rocket of draft boards yeah. right now. Let's go to rookies. That's going to do it for our um, prospect stuff. Or we'll talk a little chug the prospect later. But mm-hmm. Or chug, chug, yeah, chug the prospect. Um, rolling rooks, talking about some of our top rookie performances from the weekend. Got to start with Kyler Murray. 
earned an elite 92-plus uh, overall grade in this one, lit up a bad Bengals defense, dropped them to 0-5. And, um, and what I really liked about this one is they got him running the football a little bit more. Yes. They did some design runs for him, and he looked really fast. Maybe the Bengals are bad and slow, but he looked very fast in that game. I think getting him involved like that, I think, is going to gain confidence for him, and I think it's going to help him overall for sure. Yeah, they involved him more in the actual quarterback designed run sort of you know he is a not just a scramble it is he is actually an option for the rushing attack and I think that's how you're going to best utilize a talent like him that's what we've said the rushing threat of a quarterback does so much to opposing defenses that you have to use it now with the Cardinals in their situation and Kyler Murray being in his first year and they're just not being a playoff sort of caliber team at this point Mm -hmm. yes you don't want to get him killed you want to strike that balance of not getting him to take too many shots but if you're using him as a drop-back passer with that offensive line, uh, you might get him killed anyway with how bad they are. So I, I think there is a balance to be struck there, and I think this was a comfortable, this was a nice balance of using him in that running game. So uh, this was kind of as advertised, what we had hoped to see when we had him as our you know number one quarterback coming out this And season. he went into this game without an overall grade above 70.0 in any of the games he's played. Mm-hmm. A 90.4 overall grade for him here, 88.7 rushing, 83.6 passing. I think that's outstanding production for Kyler and a big confidence booster for him as they move forward through the schedule. Mm-hmm. No one's picking Arizona to go to the playoffs, really. No one's picking them to win the Super Bowl, but if you can start to see it, and I remember you talk about this too from a rookie, when you can see it, see, hit, see him do it a couple games, mm-hmm. or even one or two games, because you talk about that Sam Darnold stretch last year, down, you know, he was one of the highest graded quarterbacks late in the year. I think being able to see it as a rookie, him like things click for him is important. I think you started to see it with mm-hmm. Kyler Murray in this one. Let's go to Oakland. Josh Jacobs, PFF's high, you know, you know, highest ranked running back in the class is the highest graded rookie running back in the NFL right now he earned a 77.7 overall grade for his efforts against Chicago had a nice leaping dive over the top behind Alec Eagold another rookie uh, to to, um, score there I think he's a guy that is taking advantage of improved run blocking for the Oakland Raiders I think they do look better Richie Incognito is actually bullying some kids I mean I mean playing really well um um but yes, <laughs> but uh, he's playing well, and Josh Jacobs too. Twenty-three forced missed tackles so far. He's averaging three point five seven yards after contact per carry. He looks legit, and no wear and tear from Alabama. He was lightly used. Some people knocked that as a con. I'm saying, dude, nice. I'm glad yeah. he's not Derrick Henry rolling in there with like five hundred carries. <laughs> you have Josh Jacobs playing really well for Oakland right now. Still, maybe not worth that first round pick. Just given where there's at, but again, you're, he's, you're getting the most out of him, and he's playing at a high level. Yeah, 13 uh, broken tackles on the ground over the past two weeks. We had him as the number one running back on the board. Like we, the, I love the fact that he didn't get a lot of wear and tear on him. He was fantastic where they, they used him a lot in short yardage. Uh, the thing I love, though, from this past week, three targets was his most of any game this year. Let's go. And he repays them with 20 yards receiving. I mean, like, that was... <laughs> yeah. He like utilize him in the past game. That was where he really separated himself in my mind from this. And, pack and they of need to bump backs. that even more. We just watched Austin Eckler get 15 targets or 15 receptions <laughs> in a game. I think not. Don't get it to that level, but I think five, six, <laughs> five, six target games make sense for Josh Jacobs mm-hmm. because one, he's an elite receiving talent. We we said that before the draft. Two, the Raiders don't have much else. They played this game without Tyrell Williams, without Dwayne Harris, no JJ Nelson. I'm not sure why they didn't get him more involved. I think it would have made sense to get even more than three targets. But it was the winning formula. They go, they mm-hmm. go overseas and take that dub against Chicago. Let's move forward here. Uh, another rolling rook, Eric McCoy, New Orleans Saints. This is a guy that's played really well to start the season and, and capping off another big game in Week 5. Yeah, 75.1 overall grade. I mean, anything even close to above average play, and that's above average play, mm-hmm. along the offensive line as a rookie is fantastic. You just don't see that. It's so rare to see that, and it's 
funny looking through our grading, just looking at when we'll actually get to this later when we get to blackout performances. One of the things I'm just going to touch on is rookie offensive alignment. It is tough to play right away in the NFL along the offensive line. When you have a guy doing it like McCoy there for the Saints, that usually means you're probably onto something special. Yeah, specifically looking at pass protection here, only four hurries allowed across 207 pass blocking snaps. That is fantastic. Let's go to a guy that is a rolling rook. This is not a blackout performance for great Garrett Bradbury. He did not have a terrible game. He had a good game. Not great. <laughs> 71.4 pass blocking grade for Garrett Bradbury. And why that's significant? It doesn't sound crazy. It's a C in you know, the normal grading mm-hmm. system in class. He earned I'll I'll go through the weeks. Week one, zero pass blocking grade against Atlanta. Week two, 16.3 Green Bay. 51.9 against Oakland. 24.2 against Chicago. This is a bounce back week for Garrett Bradbury, a 71.4 pass blocking grade. He needed this. I needed this. We needed this. We highlighted it, right? On the Thursday show, we said if he can't do it against Dexter Lawrence, if he he gets his butt handed to him again against a rookie, it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. So zero pressures allowed for him. Huge step forward. the light was going to flip on. Mm-hmm. The light should flip on at some point. At least he's not, flicker. He's not, I mean, yeah, at like least he's, flicker. He's not going to be the worst center in the NFL you know, his entire career. Like There was still a reason he was drafted in the first round. Uh, but I, I do think that very encouraging for Vikings fans uh, to see him actually start getting the job done. Like I said, if it didn't happen this past week, it w- could have gotten you know all-time sort of ugly with this rookie year. Only defender making the rolling rook segment here, but for good reason. Yes. Nick Bosa. Literally put the Cleveland Browns offensive line on fire. He waved the Ohio State flag and planted it against Cleveland. He had an outstanding game. And I want to bring him up more from just this game. He earned a 90-plus pass rushing grade in this game. He made our team of the week, PFF's team of the week, that goes beyond rookies. But this guy has been lights out to start. I don't care about the sack numbers. He added them in this past week. But even before that, he had a very high pass rush win rate. A little fun fact, him and his brother, Joey Bosa, went into that game with the same pass rush win rate. Both of those guys are identical. They're the same person. He is having a very good start and coming off his best game as a young player. Right yeah, now. and he had a little ankle injury hampering him the first few weeks of the he's season. He's still blown up bye. Now he, But his worst game this season, he still had four pressures. 26 through four games already. That is ridiculous production. That's, if you can't do the math in your head, that's on pace for over 100 this season. So, Jeez. Bad. If you bring up that stat, and I'm, I'm diving into the data OTs. here to kind of check it out. His worst game, he has four pressures. Cleveland Farrell's best game, he has three. So this is not a great start. Not all top five picks are created equal. Not all say. top five create, um, are created equal. But that's going to do it for our Rolling Rook segment. Nick Bosa, I mean, absolutely lights out. Garrett Bradbury with a big bounce back week. Uh, let's go to blackout performances. Get a little bit darker, you know, a little bit more negative. I know it's been mm. too positive. I've been hammering Garrett Bradbury. <laughs> let's go blackout performances. Um, Mike, you want to start this one off? I wanted to kick it off with just rookie offensive linemen in general. Not Garrett Bradbury. They, not Garrett <laughs> Bradbury, though. But if you're starting a rookie offensive lineman, chances are it can get pretty ugly, and it mm-hmm. will get pretty ugly. This past week we had five, excuse me, six different guys earn grades below 50 mm-hmm. along the offensive line. Max Sharping of the Houston Texans, Nate Davis of the Tennessee Titans, Cody Ford of the Buffalo Bills, Caleb McGarry of the Atlanta Falcons, Ryan Bates of the Bills, and Wes Martin of the Washington Redskins. All those guys just took it on the chin. And it's yeah, you don't blame them. Mm-hmm. You're just not ready to, when you come into the NFL. So anytime you, you know, want to draft this offensive lineman, think that's going to immediately turn around your program, 
Uh, a lot of times it doesn't. There's yeah. only a few guys that actually move that needle. Draft uh, offensive lineman like the Eagles draft offensive lineman. Andre Dillard, first round, put him behind him Jason set. Peters. He played great in the preseason, still put him behind Jason Peters. <laughs> let him learn the speed of the NFL. Let him get bigger, stronger, all that stuff. And then when you see in year two and year three he plays well. I, don't, you know, I think that's the way to go. I think with offensive, rookie offensive lineman, you have to set the bar low if you're going to start him out of the gate. Not <laughs> as low as maybe Garrett Bradbury's four-game start, but still pretty low for what, from uh, what we've seen. Um, Another, you know, not an offensive lineman, but a rookie kind of had a blackout performance, Keyshawn Johnson. He, he came in, you know, they're without Christian Kirk, maybe a guy who could step up. Two drops in this one, that's always going to kind of drive down your grade. And he's a guy that's been praised by the coaches. He's playing more than Andy Isabella. I mean, mm. and Andy Isabella was drafted in the second round. But with Keyshawn Johnson, two drops here, not, not something you like to see. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't love him coming out. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to, like, oh, say it's a great thing a to see. But I'm just saying, like, uh, I forcing him into early action I did not think would be great for him. Andy Isabella only saw nine snaps in this one. I'm shedding a tear over my boy. Did he even have a target? I think it was was a handoff that he was given. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Ugly. But, all right, I have another black guy performance, and it is Quincy Wilson, the linebacker for the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you want to go – Quincy Williams. Quincy Williams, Jesus. Quincy Quincy Williams, linebacker for Jacksonville Jaguars. Go on Twitter – Search his name oh, uh, I think I've and seen Christian it. McCaffrey. <laughs> a, there's a highlight reel of him trying to tackle Christian McCaffrey, and it is absurd. He has he only we only charged him with four missed tackles on the day because some of them he was so far away from Christian McCaffrey that we couldn't even put, we couldn't even call it a tackle attempt. Jeez. He was just flopping all over himself, just a trying fish. to. But you're tr- you're starting a guy who played at Murray State last year and expecting him to tackle Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. like. Just, he's he's not ready. He has yeah. not been ready. He has a twenty nine point eight overall grade this season. Just it, don't throw him out there. They're yeah. throwing him for the Wolves right now. Let's go to another blackout performance for a rookie here. Mac Wilson of Cleveland Browns. He's a guy who had an insane preseason grade. He played well in coverage mm-hmm. these past few weeks. Forty one point three overall grade against Baltimore. A thirty six point three overall grade against San Francisco. No one played well against San Francisco, to be fair. But this is a guy that has not played well across a large sample size. He's playing over 60 snaps a game for this defense and really got bullied in the run game. He's earned sub-50.0 coverage grade so far this year. And I know you're a guy that's not super surprised. I mean, this, you weren't a guy that's super high on yeah. Mac Wilson. And, and I think his coverage grades in the preseason may be fool's gold. Yeah, he went the fifth, and that was kind of where I had him. But I will say this. You go up against the 49ers as a linebacker and Kyle Shanahan, you're getting that's the hardest matchup you can face as a linebacker they throw so much shit at you from the running game perspective uh what from you know shifts using a fullback just stuff you'll never see against any other offense and when you're a rookie in the nfl that had to be looking like things were coming like everything was coming at you a mile a minute so can't necessarily blame mac wilson about as tough a assignment as you'll see all season long but yeah things did not go well for him today and i was talking about with solly about this like it's not like Georgia te- or old Georgia Tech levels where you're playing against wing T and you've never seen it before. But yeah. like it's similar that the San Francisco 49ers offense, how often they use a fullback, this 21 personnel look, not any, not a ton of 11 personnel, kind of the most popular uh, personnel grouping in the NFL right now. It's different. And I think you're, the Browns defense isn't going to play another uh, offense that puts out like the San Francisco 49ers yeah. does. I think it's, uh, it's still surprising that they lost as bad as they did, some bad Baker Mayfield uh, turnovers. But you're, like you said, I think for linebackers that are edging on 240 pounds – it's going to be a struggle to kind of go against these big beef houses that are running right at you, use check, et cetera. I think it, uh, again, beef I think houses, you, you, underrated. Beef Sorry. house. Yeah. I like beef house. Yeah. Like a stack of beef, you know, like has a beef steaks. There was a restaurant by me where I grew up called the beef house. So mm. 
I thought that was where your mom went by. (laughs) Uh, Let's chug a prospect here. We're going to go to, I guess we could say, former West Virginia safety, Kenny Robertson Jr. This guy's story is insane, and you're bringing him up at a good time. And uh, let's just chugging him because Mm -hmm. he's going to get drafted. In the this first week. round of yeah. the XFL. Of the XFL draft, <laughs> yes. That's when he's he is officially declared for the XFL draft. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, this guy that you liked, though, a ton. He was in our preseason draft guide. 21st in our preseason mock draft because he is legit. Pro- like, this yeah. dude's legit. He, okay, so, um, we're going to chug Kenny Robinson. Yeah. So let's go deep on Kenny Robinson. Was only a three-star recruit coming out of high school, uh, but comes at to West Virginia, 6'2", 195 pounds, starts at cornerback, first game as a true freshman, starts a few games at cornerback before they're like, hey, uh, this guy's a little too freewheely for us. They throw him into safety. Moves to safety after a few games, and uh, in those final six games that he started at safety, his freshman year, he earned 88.6 coverage grade on 397 snaps. Dude is a playmaker on the back end, has some reads, has some had probably two of the best hits I saw all of 2000 and I guess that was 2018 season from any safety he just comes over lays the boom completely unafraid to put guys flat on their backs love to see a guy like that and they weren't cheap shots either he was putting them right in their stomach but had some huge hits but he is a freelancer on the back end that's his biggest sort of mishap he had a lot of times where he would abandon his own guy would come back in across him uh miss there but you, he just made some plays that you just don't see. You know, Again, go back to co- the number of safeties that can make that play in college football. Him, Grant Delpit, might have been it. Just glides, glides across, I wrote here, the back end of defenses. Smooth hips and long strides cover a lot of ground. Uh, experience playing corner, low strike zone on his hits over the middle, not going to draw any flags. His angles at deep safety are fantastic. Knows where the ball is going to be. Gets to the ball. A willing to play through blockers in the run game. Uh, I, I think there was a lot to like about his tape. A lot of bad, though, as well. A lot of bad also the fact that uh, he probably left. The reason he left West Virginia, not that it was ever actually publicized, was because uh, he was academically ineligible and wasn't going to be able to qualify really? anywhere else he went. So wow. uh, is the most likely the explanation that I've heard for why he had to leave. Uh, but, yeah, so that sort of freewheeling nature on the back end not with back the is not necessarily a great combination but I think it'll be uh, fun to see how he fares in the XFL because you can't teach the high-end sort of traits that a guy like Kenny Robinson has. So if he can make some plays in the XFL, talk about the NFL someday. Early depoy favorite for the XFL, I'd say. Mm. Um, and I'm picking the team here. Maybe I'm hoping he, maybe Memphis Maniacs. See, he seems like a maniac. Well, I feel hopefully like... he's like close to us. We go see him in person. That'd be great. Oh, that'd be great. You got Chicago Enforcers, maybe the San Francisco Demons. Mm. I feel like well, he'll find a, he'll find a role in the XFL. That's going to be exciting to see. Well, that's going to be Kenny Robinson Jr. And that's going to be the Two for One Drafts podcast. Remember, you can see us live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we're also uh, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. This has been Austin Gale and Mike. Gray. On two for one drafts.